is everybody this week? Good? It's kind of weird that it's like summer out. I almost wore a sweater today, and then I'm like, I'm going to just check the, the, you know, the good old thermometer thing on my phone, and I'm like, it's going to be hot. What am I doing? So anyway, summer continues. We'll ride this train as long as we can. Um, let's open up in prayer as we come to God's word. Pray with me. Oh, Father, thank you for this day. Thank you, God, that we get to gather here freely. Thank you that we get to praise you freely and that we have voices that we can lift up to you, acknowledging that you are Lord and God, and we are your people. We are your children. Thank you for every person here, Lord. I just pray that you would meet them where they're at, Lord, whatever is going on in their lives, whatever they're thinking on. Lord, I also pray that we would be able to set those things aside right now and that we would focus on you and be reminded, Lord, that you are in charge of this world and we can trust you. Um, Lord, guide my thoughts and my words today as I share from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So this month, we are doing a study called Unshakable, and last week we were talking about security, um, and this week we are going to be talking about how our security in our world comes from God and how he is not shaken, and we can find our security in him as people collectively. We have been studying uh, somebody I've never preached on before, and it's Hezekiah. Hezekiah was one of the best kings in Judah. He gets more accolades than even King David, if you, if you note that, like what we read last week, that he was better than any other king before him or after him. He was exceptional. He wasn't perfect, but he was a really um, wonderful leader and king for um, God's people. So we're just going to do some recap of where we were. Good job, Tony. We're working together. I want to be good to Tony and not be like leaving like, what are you talking about? Where are you? So we're in John 14. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. I know last week I said he didn't say, you might or it might, it might be rough. He just said, in this world, there will be trouble. And, and it's not always going to be rosy. But then Jesus also says, later in that same passage, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I thought about how, you know, we, we have this span of time that we are on this planet. There's been people long before us. There's going to be people after us. And we all have this common struggle, and it's suffering. I think that's, we have, we have the capacity for joy, but we also have the capacity for so much suffering. And I think what's really hard for us where we live in this time is we have technology, which alerts us to the mass suffering of so many. You think about like people a long, long time ago, they, they weren't aware because of technology that there was like so much suffering in other places. And so I've, I've thought about that as um, human beings, how that awareness and that knowledge can really increase our anxiety. It, cre- it can increase our ability to pray and to intercede and also to help. I thought about, you know, my, my sweet friend Amber, whose capacity of responding to suffering has led her into missions, and she spent the summer in Greece helping out in a refugee camp. So we have like this amazing ability to respond to suffering, but we also have this terrible ability to react to suffering and, and how it affects us. 
And in Jesus' time, this is what made me think about this week, was Jesus' time, there was suffering happening in them too. And his followers asked him, like, first of all, you know, they thought that he was the Messiah coming back to kick the Romans out, to bring Jerusalem back to its glory, all those things. And they were asking him, like, you know, how do we know when the end is going to be? And, and, and give us some signs. And Jesus wisely responds with, with truth because he was God. Um, he said... Watch out that no one deceives you. This is in uh, Matthew 24, verse 4. For many will come in my name claiming I'm the Messiah and will deceive many. He told them you will hear of wars, rumors of wars, but see too that you are not alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Jesus said nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famines and earthquakes in various places, all these are the beginnings of earth birth pains. He tells them, you're going to be persecuted. You're going to be handed over, put to death. You're going to be hated by all nations because of me, because you are a follower of Christ. He said, at that time, many will turn away from the faith and will, dis- will betray and hate each other. And many false prophets will appear and deceive many people. He said, because of the increase of wickedness, the love of most will grow cold. But the one who stands firm to the end will be saved. And he said, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and the end will come. And then in verse 36, he says, but about that day or hour, no one knows. That always gives me so much comfort that even Jesus told his people, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son. He was saying, I don't even know that right now, but only the Father. As in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. From the days before the flood, people were eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. So Jesus is telling them, like, it's going to be rough. And also, you know, when we start worrying, like, is this the end or that isn't? Well, first of all, don't worry because our security is in Him. And that kind of gave me just a just a reminder to encourage you, just as I was encouraged myself, when we know Christ, we are secure. Our, first of all, we're secure right now, even if it's, you know, all chaos breaking out around us. But first, first and foremost, our eternal destiny is secure. We have heaven in our sights, no matter what's happening in this world. And, and that's where I just caught, I had this joy of like, no matter how bad it is, we have something so much beyond what we can even comprehend awaiting us with the Lord. And so that gave me just a moment of like, remember what's coming. And that will give us the, the steadfastness and the strength to withstand whatever it is. And that was what Jesus told his followers then. And he says the same thing to us now because he is living and active. And this word is living and active. So I just wanted to remind you of that before we got into Hezekiah, of that, that God knew that it was going to be hard, and he, know, he knows it's hard. Jesus knows what it was like because he was with us. He walked this earth. But he still says, stand fast. Stay with me. Keep your eyes on God and on his strength and who he is, and you can do it. And that gives me so much stamina and endurance to do that. So as we sit with Jesus' words and think about where his followers then were then, And when we go to Hezekiah, I just wanted to ask you just a question to ponder for a moment. What rattles your cage when it comes to our world? When you hear the news, um, when you read the newspaper, when you watch things, what really distresses you? 
for me personally, it's when I see that children are struggling. That's when like, I mean, I don't watch TV very much to be completely honest with you, but um, we didn't even have like a TV till COVID. And then COVID just tipped us off the edge. And now we have cable and <laughs> COVID. You know, my husband loves it because now we have ESPN. But anyway, um, all of a sudden I started watching the news and I cry when I watch the news. I just have this emotional response. And when I see children struggling and suffering, that is what really messes me up. It, I think of myself as a mom and my own children, and I can't imagine what it would be like to not be able to help them and, and the terrible things that are happening to children. That's what really like messes me up inside. And I turn off the TV and, and then I usually go and pray. Sometimes I forget and then I'm like all upset and then I have to figure out why am I so upset. And it's because like, I haven't gone to the Lord and prayed about what I just saw. But I just want to ask you, like, what messes you up inside when you see things that are happening in our world. You can go to the next slide, Tony. Um, and it's important to think about what do we do then with the things that rattle us emotionally, mentally, physically, and spiritually. This was the question I asked you last week. When you are rattled inside and, and things are going on, what do we do then when we have those things disrupt us? You can go to the next one, Tony. So we are studying the life of Hezekiah. Um, last week I asked you to read in 2 Kings 18-19, Chronicles um, 28-31, to 2 Chronicles, Isaiah 36-39, to 39, and then it was really awesome. Jamie read from Isaiah 40 today, which was one of um, the prophet Isaiah's responses to that time and place when he was called to minister to the people of Judah in that time. So this is where we have been. Next slide, Tony. And just a reminder of who was Hezekiah. He was a really good king. He had a really messed up growing up. He had a dad who had completely turned away from the Lord. His dad um, engaged in every kind of worship possible. He, he practiced syncretism. He, he worshiped. He even made, a, um, he made an altar that was like one of the altars in Assyria to, to put in there just to cover all his bases. He set up the high places. He had shrines to other gods and other deities. And he threw in, oh yeah, and then we'll worship Yahweh, who, the Lord God that is um, the one God. So Ahaz also practiced child sacrifice. He did everything bad you can imagine. And then he has this king, his king's son, Hezekiah. Um, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old. Um, his mom's name was Abijah. And I was reading in a commentary this week about just how, how important it was that it seems that Hezekiah had a godly mother. We, they think that her, her mom or her dad was um, a very dignified and respectable man, possibly a priest, and that the influence of Hezekiah's mom in his life and the prophet Isaiah seemed to have turned his heart to the Lord. And so when it came turn for Hezekiah to be king, he led this huge spiritual reform. He brought the people back to worshiping God. He brought them back to doing the things that made them distinctly God's people and, and started a revival um, pretty much in Judah. Um, next slide. So these are some important things to think about. Isaiah advised him. He had Assyria harassing him, and he also had God helping him. Um, so in, some important things to know, we're going to learn about um, the ancient kingdom of Assyria. And it's also important to think about how Assyria is no longer a kingdom anymore, but Israel still is. Um, you think of all the places and people that have tried to displace and to remove Israel, and, and they haven't. Israel still stands. And that's an important thing to, to just 
remember and, and consider is there have been kingdoms that have come and gone. The Babylonians, they're not there anymore. Um, but God's, that special place of Israel still is there. And I think that's important that we, we hold that tight and we think about that. Um, next slide. Is that it? Oh, there it is. <laughs> so we come back to security. Hezekiah's security was found in the Lord, but last week we talked about security. What is it and why is it important? And security is that overall feeling of wellness. You know, think of, of shalom, what, what God defines as true peace. It's, it's contentment, it's safety, it's knowing that you are okay. Um, and why is it important? Because it is how we can live in a way where we are regulated. It helps us know that we are safe and we can make you know, thoughtful decisions. When we are insecure, we don't. Um, next slide, Tony. Um, the WHO, this is the one that I thought I had last week. Not the band, the WHO. The WHO, World Health Organization, says that security is a prerequisite for health. And we go back to all the people right now that do not have security in their, in their world, in their land, and they, they are lacking health in every way. And I think that's important note of justice for us as God's people is how can we also advocate and work for the security of all people, not just ourselves. Last week we talked about the security. What does it look like and feel like? It feels stable, safe, protection, consistency. We feel happy when we're secure. We feel loved when we're secure. If you have children, just think about how your child is at their best, and it's when they are the most secure. The Hebrew words avtacha refers to the objective physical security measure, while bitachon usually refers to the subjective feeling. So there's like an actual physical sense of security, and then there's an emotional feeling sense of security. So those are important things to think about as we come to this passage. And next slide, Tony. So in Hezekiah's time, this is important to note, he faced a lot of things that we face. He faced um, economic pressure. Um, one thing that's really interesting, and, it, and if you're, I don't know if any of you are interested in, in the economy and, and the world system, it made me start thinking about Bitcoin and, and all, the, all the ways that we, we have currency in our world. But some really interesting things was how the Assyrians, Assyrians were this huge world power. They spread, they spread, they spread. And the ways that they would um, have compliance for the people that they took over was they would say, we'll let you stay in your place, but you have to pay us money, you have to pay us tribute. And so they would you know, pay them money, and then they would leave them alone, and they would make their king a vassal king, meaning that the Assyrians were really in charge of them, but they could still be their king. So he faced that. He faced the pressure of invasion, and he faced social pressure, the, the pressures of, are, are my people safe? Are they okay? Are they worried because the Assyrians are at our door? Um, the Assyrians, this is um, some fun, I found some fun um, facts for you to show you about the Assyrians. Next slide. So this is ancient Near East history, but this shows how far the Assyrian Empire stretched, and this is around 700, 760 B.C., but first of all, there was, there was a lot of kings that had the same name, Tiglath-Pileser. There was Tiglath-Pileser one, two, three. They all had the same name. Um, and he was one of the famous kings. He was one of the stronger kings of Assyria. And to make his messengers and armies travel quickly, he built roads which connected the empire, which makes you also think about the Roman Empire, how they were kind of a precursor to that. Um, the Assyrians, what they practiced was siege warfare. They also had like advanced technology for warfare. They would, they would bottle people up within their land and then wait it out and, and scare them. Their, their tactic was fear. 
Next slide, Tony. They were fearsome, powerful. They, the people had to learn how to fight. They were uh, definitely a culture, warfare culture. Children probably learned to fight very early. Um, they had iron weapons, deadly chariots. Their weapons were made of tin and copper. So they were advanced in the technology of warfare. Next slide, Tony. So some other things to think about. In 744 BC to 612 BC, the Assyrian people had their strongest life ever. They had many powerful rulers. Um, they had Sennacherib. I can't, I've been trying to practice as Ashurbanipal, sure. Um, Tiglath-Pileser III and Sargon II. Um, they had a great library. They were also like intelligent, smart people. It was situated the city of Nineveh. Um, it had important things of it, like the Code of Hammurabi, Gilgamesh, clay tablets from Mesopotamia. And they were also fearful and powerful. They had to learn to fight. Um, I, that was a, sorry, that one. we already talked about that, but they had a lot of weapons. They were really strong. They were scary. Next slide. And so it's really interesting to think about Hezekiah. He was probably the most afraid of when, and we'll come to this part of the story, it was this insecurity and fear. Um, the Assyrians show up at his door, which we'll read about, and he had a lot to think about. But what happened was um, compromising status of relationship. Who were the people, their, their identity as God's people? Also, how the anxiety and the lack of security affected him and their relationship and their environment. Just, you think about, we have never really been um, exposed to war in this country apart from like 9-11. We have not known what it it means to have our environmental security threatened, and so Hezekiah was dealing with that. And, And just as we come to God's word and read about Hezekiah, I just want you to think about what insecurities, what fears do you currently have about our world, and how can we give that to God? I'm going to read to you this amazing story in 2 Kings 18. If you have your Bibles, follow along. So this is what happens. A couple things. So the Assyrians are knocking at the door, and what we find out you know, in, in the earlier part of 2 Kings 18 was that Hezekiah was, had, had cut off tribute. They weren't, they weren't supporting the Assyrians anymore. They're like, we're not giving our money to you anymore. But then the Assyrians show up. They threaten him again. So he decides, I'm going to give you money. I'm going to give you gold. Gave him all the gold and silver that was found in the temple of the Lord and the treasuries of the royal palace. And then he even goes as far as in, um, this is in 2 Kings 18, verse 16. It says, at this time, Hezekiah, king of Judah, stripped off the gold with which covered the doors and doorposts of the temple of the Lord and gave it to the king of Assyria. They pretty much gave them everything except themselves. And he's thinking, good, maybe that'll appease them, then they'll go. That's not enough, though. So in verse 17, this is what happens. The king of Assyria sent his supreme commander, his chief officer, and his field commander with a large army from Lachish, which he had taken over. It was a fortified city in Judah, and he had taken 46 other cities as well. Jerusalem was like the last part standing. So he comes to King Hezekiah at Jerusalem. They come to Jerusalem and stop at the aqueduct of the upper pool on the road of the washerman's field. They called for the king, and instead Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, and Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, go out to him. Hezekiah does not go out to them. The field commander said to them, Tell Hezekiah, this is what the great king, the king of Israel says, of Assyria says, On what are you basing your confidence? You say you have the counsel and the might for war. You speak only empty words. 
on whom are you depending? Who do you rebel against? Look, I know you are depending on Egypt, that splintered reed of a staff, which pierces the hand of anyone who leans on it. The irony was that Israel and Judah had gone back to Egypt for help. Egypt was fighting against Assyria too, and he's mocking him, saying, well, Egypt can't help you at all. They're a splintered reed of a staff. They're not even strong anymore, essentially. Such is Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to all who depend on him. But if you say to me, we are depending on the Lord our God, isn't he the one whose high places and altars Hezekiah removed, saying to Judah and Jerusalem, you must worship before this altar in Jerusalem? So he starts after them, their religious practices and their dependence on Yahweh, on the Lord. And then he says, come on, make a bargain with my master, the king of Assyria. And he kind of mocks him. He says, I'll give you 2,000 horses if you can put riders on them. How can you repulse one officer of the least of my master's officials, even though you are depending on Egypt for chariots and horsemen? Furthermore, have I come to attack and destroy this place without word from the Lord? So he says, too, oh yeah, by the way, your God told us to come and attack you. The Lord himself told me to march against this country and destroy it. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, and Shebna, and Joah said to the field commander, Please speak to your servants in Aramaic, since we understand it. Don't speak to us in Hebrew in the hearing of the people on the wall. One thing that's really interesting was that Aramaic was not a common language at that point. It was, it was common to other worldly places, but not so much to the people of Israel. And what this guy is doing is he's trying to scare the people by speaking in Hebrew so that everybody can hear, not just the leaders. But the commander replies, was it only to your master and you that my master sent me to say these things and not to the people sitting on the wall who, like you, will have to eat their own excrement and drink their own urine? So he's trying to scare the people and, and have them start to become insecure and fearful. Then the commander stood and called out in Hebrew, Hear the word of the great king, the king of Assyria. This is what the king says. Do not let Hezekiah deceive you. He cannot deliver you from my hand. Do not let Hezekiah persuade you to trust in the Lord when he says, The Lord will surely deliver us. This city will not be given in the hands of the king of Assyria. Do not listen to Hezekiah. This is what the king of Assyria says. Make peace with me. Come out to me. Then each of you can have fruit from your own vine, your fig tree, and drink from your own cistern, until I come and take you to a land like your own, a land of grain and new wine, a land of bread and vineyards, a land of olive trees and honey. Choose life and not death. Do not listen to Hezekiah, for he is misleading you, and he says the Lord will deliver us. Has the God of any nation ever delivered his hand, this, his land from the hand of the king of Assyria? So as we pause there for a second, first of all, the Assyrians, their go-to was they would come and they would invade a place, and instead of like you know setting up shop there, they would take all the people, yoink them out, and send them elsewhere to go populate the other lands that they were they were overtaking. And so that map that I showed you, as their empire grew, they would come and conquer people, and and really rob them of their identity and ship them up, and really take that security from them of their security of who they were as people in that land and send them out. So he's saying, you know, we'll let you be here, and then we're going to send you somewhere else, and it'll be really good. And then he also comes to say, you know, we've conquered all these other lands, and, and we conquered their gods. He says, where are the gods of Hamath and Arpad? Where are the gods of Sepharim, Hannah, and Irva? Have they rescued Samaria from my hand? Who of all the gods of these countries has been able to save his land from me? How, can, how then can the Lord deliver Jerusalem from my hand? 
So he's mocking the, the ability and the strength that they have in God to deliver them and help them. But the people remained silent and said nothing in reply because the king had commanded, do not answer him. Then Eliakim, son of Hilkiah, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, Joah, son of Asaph, the recorder, went to Hezekiah with their clothes torn, which was a sign of grief, and they told the field commander what happened. Then Hezekiah, in verse chapter 19, he hears this, he tears his clothes. He sent Eliakim, the palace administrator, Shebna, the secretary, they go to the prophet Isaiah, they tell him what happens. But then this is what Isaiah says to them in verse 5. He says, you tell them, tell your master, this is what the Lord says, do not be afraid of what you have heard. These words are the underlings of the king of Assyria. Listen, when he hears a certain report, I will make him want to return to his own country, and there I will have him cut down. And then this is what Hezekiah does next. I'm in 19, verse 14. He gets a letter from the messengers. He goes to the temple of the Lord. He spreads it out before the Lord. And he prays to the Lord. He says, Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned between the cherubim, you alone are God over all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Give ear, Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, Lord, and see. Listen to the word Sennacherib is sent to ridicule the living God. It is true, Lord, that the Assyrian kings have laid waste these nations in their land. They have thrown their gods into the fire and destroyed them. But they were not gods, only wood and stone fashioned by human hands. Now, Lord, our God, deliver us from his hand so that all kingdoms of the earth may know that you alone are God. So a couple things I just want to leave with you this morning when we think about Hezekiah. First of all, his security was in the Lord. He went straight away to the sanctuary. He put the letter out. I just can imagine kind of like how maybe in front of the altar, he spread it all out. He said, God, here's what he said. He gave all the fears that the Assyrians were put in their way. Secondly, he sought counsel. He sought Isaiah, one who had fellowship with God. He didn't seek out his military, political advisors. First, he went to someone who was securely attached to the Lord and was going to tell him the truth of what God says. And then he prays. He asks the people to pray. He says, lift up your voices, seek the Lord, call out to him. And then he says, and then the most important thing is he glorifies, he praises God. He says, Lord, you are between the cherubim and heaven. You are highly exalted. And then he seeks not just his own security and safety, but he seeks the glory of the Lord that all nations will know that God is awesome, God is strong, God is amazing. That is what he does. And so we have this amazing outcome that happens. It's like these things that scholars didn't even really know what to say about this. They said clearly something happened, but they don't have a lot of evidence for it. But what happens is, that this big siege comes up, um, Sennacherib is out there, um, it's prophesied by Isaiah what's going to happen, and he hears this report, um, he hears this report and they think it either came from Pharaoh from, from Egypt or it came from the Babylonian uprising, but whatever happens in, in, in the commentary, it says that he has this spirit that comes at him, they, it's called this ruah. And it's the word for spirit, which is also similar to like the spirit of God within us. But the spirit that, that comes to him, that distracts him, sends him someplace else on an impulse. And so he goes out and leaves. And then later they come back and his, his um, army is still there. And we have in verse 35, 19, it says, That night an angel of the Lord went out and put to death 185,000 in the Assyrian camp. When all the people got up the next morning, there were all the dead bodies. So Sennacherib, king of Assyria, broke camp and withdrew. He returned to Nineveh, and he stayed there. 
And then one day, this is like the side note, he was worshiping in the temple of his god Nisroch, and his two sons killed them with the sword, and they escaped to the land of Ararat, and another king succeeded him. You think about how Isaiah's security and his ability to rest in the Lord and to just hunker down and stay must have been really hard when the temptation came in to flee, to come up with some idea with his, his field commanders, but he doesn't. He instead seeks God. He trusts God. He, he tell, reminds God, this is who you are. This is what you can do. And this amazing thing happens. Um, I want you to think about a couple things. Um, Tony, go to the one that says, despite the seemingly impossible situation. So some of our biggest takeaways for today is despite a seemingly impossible situation, God came through. It's one of these miracles that we can't account for, but God can. Hezekiah modeled to his people to put their trust in God through their decisions and actions. Next slide. And we can keep learning from Hezekiah. His security was found in the Lord, even though he had um, a situation that was, that was really awful. Like you think about as a leader, nobody wants to be in that situation. You have all these people you're responsible for. You have this terrible you know, army that's coming your way. Nobody wants to be in that spot. But he had a strong anchor, and that was the Lord God. Next slide, Tony. So I just want to help you think about something. And this is where we have Hezekiah's modeling. His, his way of thinking was God will help us. And so can we have that same way of thinking right now in our lives today? God will help me. Can I check my deep-seated beliefs of I am secure? Is that true for you? I am not alone, or do you feel alone? That deep-seated belief to be reminded, yes, you are secure. Yes, you are not alone. And then what do we do equals how do we act. And that means that we actively have to trust God. It's not just some pie in the sky. I mean, I'm going to trust God, but it means we're going to act in ways that show we trust God and our security is in him, just like Hezekiah did. So this is where Sally, good job. When, um, do you mind? So I had to choose a responsible person to help me because there's no children in here. I was thinking about something like just in, you know, recent modern, modern-ish times in World War II, um, you know, we had the threat of Hitler. We had the threat of, of Japan. We had war um, happening with, it, with Italy. It was, it, was, it was horrible. And the British crown, to um, encourage the people, put out this sign, which I just love the sign. Keep calm and carry on. It's, it's the British crown on top saying... As your, as your leaders, we are encouraging you to keep calm and carry on. And I just think about how they did that to say, you know what? We're going we're gonna to maintain calmness. We're going to keep doing the things we're going to be doing. But I want us to take that even further. And I wrote some things for you to, to do this week to just think about how can you keep calm no matter what's going on in our world, keep calm no matter what you see on the news, whatever you hear, and to carry on actively trusting God and seeking him. Um, so there's some things for you to just bring, bring home, put them on your fridge, in your Bible, keep close to you, and I do pray it will encourage you. Um, this week, when you watch any news sources, be attentive to your thoughts, feelings, and behaviors related to what you watch. Actively pray for the situations happening in our world and the people who are struggling. Prayer is so powerful, and, and you know what? We have to... We have to remember that we can't discount prayer. God works in prayer in ways that we can't even understand. Just like in Hezekiah's situation, Hezekiah had no idea how God was going to do it, and he did it by 
the angel of the Lord going through the Assyrian army in the most unexpected way. They don't know if it was a plague. They don't know what happened. But God showed up and God saved his people and gave them more time and helped them trust him. So that is my prayer for you this week as, you, as we look back from God's word and think how can we do what God's people did in the here and now is trust God. I'm going to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, God, that we can be encouraged from stories from thousands of years ago that are just as real then as they are now. Give us faith and trust in you. Help our security be anchored deeply in you, knowing that you have us, we are not alone, and we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.